the end which was the beginning. It was the last Sunday of the Great War on the fields of Kurukshetra. The sun had set long ago. Near Samantha Panchaka lay Kaurava monarch Turyodhana, with his thigh broken by Pima. He was dying, and to his presence came Ashwatthama, the son of Drona. His anger knew no bound when he saw how unjustly the king had been hit. Ashwatthama took an oath that he would avenge the killing of the king by destroying all the Pandavas. The entire Kaurava army had been annihilated. Only three were alive, barring the dying king. They were Kripa, Krithavarma, son of Hardika, and Ashwatthama. That night when everyone was asleep, Ashwatthama hurried to the Pandava camp. He did not find the Pandavas but their five sons were there sleeping. Drishtadhumna and his brothers were in the camp too. The angry Brahmin killed all of them, the five sons of Draupadi and all her brothers. He then set fire to the camp and went away. The king, when he was told about it, was not happy. The act of his friend was too terrible. Early in the morning, the news reached the Pandavas. Draupadi was horror-stricken. In one night, she had lost her sons and her brothers. She saw their dead forms and her voice was harsh with pain as she lamented their death. Seeing her tear-stained face and anguished eye, Arjuna tried to comfort her. He said, My queen, you will not weep for long. I will avenge the death of the children. I will bring the head of the sinner and lay it at your feet. He will not be able to escape me and the arrows from my dreaded Gandiva. I will seek him out and kill him. Arjuna hurried to his chariot and Krishna was once again his charioteer. They saw Ashwatthama running fast to escape from Arjuna. Seeing the angry cloud on Arjuna's brow, the son of Drona tried to run as fast as he could. But Arjuna was like an avenging fury and Ashwatthama could do nothing. His horses were not fast enough to carry him away from the spot. In despair, he thought of saving his life by using the great astra Brahmastra. He touched water and after invoking the astra, he spoke the words, Let the world be Pandavalas and sent it towards Arjuna. The skies were filled with the glow and the heat of the astra. A fear came over Arjuna and he said, Krishna, Krishna, what is happening? Why is my frame burning so? I feel that a dreaded fire is traveling towards me and I do not know what it is, nor can I find a way of escaping its fury. Tell me. With a grim look, Krishna said, Arjuna, the son of your guru has thought fit to hurl the great Brahmastra at you. Do not look horrified. I know that Drona has told you how terrible it is. And I dare say he has told the same to his son also. Brashwatthama evidently has no thought of the consequence of this dastardly action. Apparently, he desires to destroy the entire world. Make up your mind soon, Arjuna, and invoke the same astra. This is the only way you can quench the fury of the approaching fire. Arjuna saluted the presiding deity of the astra and invoked it. When the two fires were travelling towards each other, it seemed like the end of the world has come. The rishis from the heaven hurried towards the spot and said, Withdraw the astra, both of you, or else the world will be destroyed. The two fires should not meet, hurry and avert the calamity. Arjuna obeyed them immediately and withdrew his astra. Ashwatthama could not. When he learned the invocation from his father, he had been warned about the dreadful power of the astra. Not bothering to remember the warning, he had sent it against Arjuna. 
The sins he had committed had robbed him of his purity and his Brahminic tejas, and he was powerless against his own astra. Lest it should consume him, he aimed it at all the unborn children of the Pandavas and thus thought of making the world Pandavales. After withdrawing the astra, Arjuna rushed towards Ashutthama. Tying him up with a rope, Arjuna dragged him like a cow meant for sacrifice. Krishna's eyes were spitting fire. He said, Arjuna, this is the man who has committed the gravest of sins, killing of children while they were sleeping. It is not right that you should have mercy on him. You must kill him without a qualm. I do not have to remind you of the rules of fighting. A man well versed in them will not kill an enemy who is drunk, who is careless about his safety, who has lost his wits, who is not trying to fight back, who is sleeping, who has fallen at your feet asking for mercy, who is defeated and who is frightened. But the sinner who saves himself by killing ruthlessly thousands of other lives must be punished only by death. And again, Arjuna, have you forgotten your promise so soon? I was listening when you told Draupadi, I will lay at your feet the head of the man who killed your son. You swore to do it. Why do you delay? Kill this man. Arjuna would not do so. In spite of the great provocation, he remembered that Ashutthama was his playmate of old, that he was the son of his guru. Drona had loved Arjuna even more than he loved Ashutthama. Arjuna was unwilling to kill the son of his guru, who was like a brother to him. He took him to the presence of Draupadi and the other Pandavas. He said, Look, my queen, look on this sinner who is standing before you. His eyes are bent on the ground since he dare not look you in the face. Tell me, what should I do with him and I will do it. Draupadi's grief at the loss of her children would ever be fresh in her mind. Also the fact that Ashwatthama killed them. But her anger had abated. She was overcome with compassion for him and said, Arjuna, please release him at once from these coils. I cannot bear to see the son of a guru bound like this. Drona was the guru who taught you archery and his son is a brother to you. Let him go on his way. Please release Ashwatthama. Yudhishthira, Arjuna as well as the twins were pleased with the words of the queen. Bhima was the only one whose anger had not evaporated at the sight of Ashwatthama. He was for killing him. Krishna smiled and said, Arjuna, you are caught on the horns of Dalima. Either you displease Draupadi and, and the others killing Ashwatthama, or you incur the wrath of your beloved brother Bhima by letting the sinner live. Do what you think is fit under the circumstances. Try and see how you can please all of them. Arjuna looked at them. Krishna was standing with his arms locked together across his chest and there was an inscrutable expression on his face. Yudhishthira and the others were looking sad and uncomfortable. Bhima was glowing angrily at the prisoner. After a long moment, Arjuna thought that he understood what Krishna was trying to tell him. He took up his sword and cut off the jewel on the head of Ashwatthama. Stripped of the glow of the jewel, which had been part of him, stripped of his Brahminic Tejas, impure because of Seshuhatya, Ashwatthama stood in their midst. Arjuna undid the ropes which bound him and said, Now you can go. Cutting off the hair of a Brahmin, taking away the wealth that belongs to him and ordering him to leave your presence, each one of them in itself was killing a Brahmana and Arjuna had done it all. To Ashwatthama who was jealous of his honor, this treatment at the hand of Arjuna was worse than death. 
With his eye bent on the ground, he dragged his steps away from the presence of the Pandavas and went far away from there. Uttaranya Yudhishthira had no peace of mind. He had conquered his enemies and got his kingdom back from Duryodhana. But he had no desire to rule the kingdom. He was greatly depressed. He hated the thought that his cousins and all the great kings of the land had to be killed because of the war. He felt that it should not have been allowed to happen. It is because of me and my lust for power that all this happened, he said again and again. Krishna tried his best to comfort him. He spoke words of wisdom. He said, look, it was fate that was responsible for all this and not you. The sons of Dhritarashtra had to die because of the adharma which was part of them. Remember all that they had done to you. Remember the one incident when my sister Draupadi was dragged to the court by her hair. Does not your blood boil at the remembrance of it? For that one sin, all of them had to be killed. Grieve not, my lord. You are not to blame. They carried the germs of destruction in themselves. Please shed this sorrow and make your brothers and Draupadi happy. Let me see the five Pandavas enjoy the kingdom which is theirs by right. This is the sole purpose of my life, to establish you on the Kaurava throne. Now that I have achieved it, please reward me by looking happy. Vyasa and Narada added their words to those of Krishna. But it was of no avail. What hurt Yudhishthira most was the killing of Radhya. Day and night he would sit and brood over it and the entire family was sunk in gloom because of the king's sorrow. One day, while they were all sitting together, all of a sudden, Krishna became lost in thought. Yudhishthira asked him why he had become so thoughtful all at once. Krishna said, Bhishma, who is on the bed of arrows, is thinking of me and he wants me by his side. Yudhishthira, he will soon pass away and with him will go the entire store of wisdom which he has garnered throughout the years. I suggest that you go to him and ask him to instruct you in the art of ruling the world and in the more difficult art of preparing yourself for the life to come. Uttrayana is fast approaching and you must hurry. Next morning, all of them went to the field of Kurukshetra where the worthy patriarch was lying waiting for his death. He looked like a fallen god. They went and stood by his side with folded palms. Tears were flowing incessantly from the eyes of Yudhishthira. He went near his grandfather and said, Here I am, the sinner Yudhishthira, who is the cause of your death and that of your grandsons. I do not know what special hell is waiting to receive me. The old man stroked his grandson's head and comforted him. He convinced the grieving king about the inevitability of war and said, My child, do not think that you have killed me. You have granted me freedom from the bondage called life. Long, long ago, I promised my mother Satyavati that I would not die until the Kuru throne is established firmly on the earth. Thanks to you, I have been able to keep my promise to her and I am no end grateful to you for this. My child, if only you knew how tired I am of living. As for your sorrows, wipe it away. It is unbecoming and unworthy of you. You are a king and a king cannot afford to have feelings of his own. He belongs to his people and your worry from now on should be their welfare and nothing else. Krishna said, We have tried, my lord, to comfort him and I have failed. 
Not even Narada could comfort him and Vyasa is unable to convince him that his grief is unnecessary. It is up to you to talk him and I hope you will succeed where we have failed. Bhishma's eyes were wet. He said, children, I am unhappy to hear about your despondency. Ever since you were born, you have been suffering. Your mother Kunti went through so much pain and anguish after Pandu died, leaving her to bring up her five sons. Like clouds tossed hither and thither, by the willful breeze you have been the playthings of fate. Else how can one explain the fact that the son of Dharma, with his powerful brothers to help him, could not rule his kingdom all these years? The ways of fate are inscrutable. We do not know them. But there is one who knows. It is Krishna. He knew about it long ago. This son of Vasudeva, this Yadava whom you consider your cousin, your friend, your mentor, your ambassador, why, your charioteer, is none other than Narayana. Very few know the glory that is Krishna. One is sage Narada and the other is Kapila. And it was this Krishna who allowed all these things to happen. Can you still doubt the rightness of his action? He is Ishwara. He is not ridden with desire, love and hatred, ego and emotions like we are. And he took it upon himself to protect you and steer you through the great war. Why did he do it? It is because he is affected by just one thing and that is Bhakti. And you have infinite Bhakti for Krishna. Look at me. I am on my deathbed and my thoughts were with Krishna. He knew it and he has come to grant me my desire. He is tied to the Bhakta with the threads of Bhakti. Krishna intervened and said, Bhishma, let me ask a favor of you. Command me, my lord, said Bhishma, with his palms folded. Krishna took his hands in his and said, Bhishma, you are the son of Ganga. She wanted you to be an ideal king, so she made you learn the Shastras, the statecraft, Raja Dharma and all the many dharmas from the divine preceptors, Shukran Brihaspati. Now you are impatient to go away. Will you teach your grandson, this Yudhishthira, the rule of governing the kingdom? Teach him all that you know. He is the only one worthy of the legacy of knowledge which is in you. It is but right that all your learning should not go back with you to the heavens where you acquired it. So be it, said Bhishma. And for 54 days he taught Yudhishthira all that he had learned in the heavens. Uttrayanaya, the day for which Bhishma has been waiting so patiently and so impatiently, came at last. Bhishma was prepared to shed his body. Bhishma, who had led the Kaurava army for 10 days, who had fallen on the bed of arrows on the evening of the 10th day, who refused to reach the heavens on the same day since it was Dakshinayana. It is said there will be rebirth for one who lays down his body during Dakshinayana. Bhishma, who was the foremost of the sons of the Paurava race, was getting ready to go back to the heavens. He looked at Krishna and said, My Lord, it is said that one should close his eyes and contemplate on the form of the Lord in the mind just before the breath leaves the body. But I have the good fortune of having the Lord of Lords by my side. Can anything be more glorious than this? Bhishma called for flowers and worshipped Krishna. He became silent. His thoughts were flowing towards Krishna in an endless stream. And like a sigh, breathed by a tired traveler at the end of his journey, his breath left his body, and Bhishma was one of the denizens of heaven.
the son of abhimanyu yudhishthira had been crowned as monarch krishna said now that my task is done now that my dream has come true i should begin to think of going back to dwarka it is ages since i left home sataki and i have forgotten what the city looks like please let us go back for a while at least i must see my aged parents and all the others when she heard about the impending departure of krishna utra the wife of abhimanyu came running to him she fell at his feet and holding on to them sobbed out the words krishna krishna you are the lord of the universe says grandmother you are the only person who can help me i am in great trouble i am pursued by a powerful presence which is spitting fire all the time i'm not fond of this life of mine which has lost all meaning ever since the day when my lord died on the battlefield krishna i am bearing the child of your abhimanyu the child is the only gift of the pandavas to the throne of the pauravas i am afraid this fire will destroy my child please save it from death krishna krishna closed his eye and to his mind came the day when ashwatthama sent his brahmastra when he invoked it the brahman had said let the world be pandava less since he could not withdraw the astra ashwatthama had aimed it at the unborn sons of the pandavas krishna lifted up putra and said do not weep my child i promise you abhimanyu will live again in you i will stay here till your child is born i am here to protect you do not worry any more about the fire which is threatening you and your son i will take care of it krishna entered the womb of utra with the power of his maya he was there when the astra entered her to destroy the unborn child with his divine form he fought the astra and finally subdued it the child while in the mother's womb saw a glowing form emanating from the astra it enveloped him and he felt that he was being burnt then he saw another form he was as big as a thumb and he was beautiful he had a golden crown on his head there was a blue sheen of his body like that of a cloud and his dress was the color of lightning he had four long arms which were decked with bracelets his earrings were glowing like golden fire and his eyes were crimson with anger he had a mace in his hand which he was twirling and the mace was spitting fire like a lit up torch he was going round and round the child and was holding at bay the astra and its fire for months he stayed inside the womb of utra with the child and finally the power of the brahmastra was quelled and even as the full grown child was looking he vanished from his sight abhimanyu's son was born there was great rejoicing in the city of hastina and the child was called vishnuratha since the lord himself protected him and made a gift of him to the power of a throne and krishna called him parikshit because the child even when he was in his mother's womb used to look at the form of vishnu and ask himself who is this wonderful person dressed in yellow silk wearing this lovely garland with gada in his hand who is protecting me all the time who is he he had begun to question about the form of the lord even before he was born krishna takes leave of kunti the excitement after the birth of the child had now subsided 
and things were coming back to normal in the city and in the palace of Yudhishthira too. Krishna knew that he had an unpleasant task ahead of him. He had to tell them that he wanted to go back to Dwaraka. They loved him so much they would not welcome his departure. He loved them too but he had to go. He bade farewell to every one of them individually. To Subhadra, his sister, to Draupadi, to Dhritarashtra, the old king, and to Gandhari, the saintly wife of the old king, and the Pandavas. They were loath to let him go, and very unwilling Yudhishthira let him go. Krishna went to the apartment of Kunti, and falling at her feet, he said, Please wish me well, I am going to Dwaraka. Kunti smiled sadly at him, and said, Still you are playing the role of Krishna, my brother's son. I am an ignorant woman, Krishna. I have not studied the Vedas, nor have I been taught the Brahma Vidya. But I know one truth, and that is, you are the Ishwara, the Lord of the Lords. I salute you. You are the truth that has always existed, the creator of the universe, the Purusha. You are the power that brings Prakriti to action. You pervade the universe made up of the elements. The impenetrable screen which goes by the name Maya hides you from us and we cannot perceive your presence in every living and non-living object. You are the five senses and you are beyond their powers since you are the truth behind them. I know very little but I know that you are the absolute truth. The only thing I can do is to salute you. Ignorant woman that I am, I do not even know the proper way in which to pray to you. I fall at your feet in all humility. Like an actor appears on the stage whose acting is so perfect that the audience thinks that he is the character whom he is portraying. You have played the role of Krishna to perfection. Your real nature is not known to all. To people deluded by the two cardinal faults, I and mine, you are invisible. Sages who have practiced the yoga of selflessness, who have tried to realize the Brahman, who have schooled their emotions so well that they are beyond their influence, even they are not able to see you. How can we, ignorant even in yoga called bhakti, perceive you? To me, you are the son of Vasudeva and Devaki, of Nanda and Yashoda. You are the cowherd who tended the cows in Vrindavan. But you are, I know, the Lord Narayana, whose navel has the divine lotus in it. Long ago, your mother Devaki was freed from the prison by you, after you had killed Kamsa. Even so, I have been saved again and again from miseries by you. My sons have regained their kingdom because of you. You have been our saviour. You have been there to protect us whenever troubles visited us. You are beyond the grasp of the highest intellect. You, and you have been with us in a human form with a name and that has been our great good fortune. Whenever misfortune befell us, in its wake we found you coming to us. You have loved us so much. Please Krishna, there is only one boon that I want to ask of you and that is there should be misfortune after misfortune visiting us. That and only that will make you be with us all the time. People who are born in good families, who are wealthy, who are all well-read and who have their egos thriving on power, which wealth has given them, how can such people be fit to pronounce your name and call you to them? And yet, it is your kindness 
which makes even such undeserving people fit to be graced by your favors i salute you who is the lord of the lords who is the uncaused cause of the universe you are time which rolls on and on without a beginning and without an end why did you make up your mind to be born in this world some say you were born in the house of yadu like the sandalwood tree growing on the slopes of malaya mountains to propagate to the world the glory of yudhishthira others maintain that you were born as a son of vasudeva and devaki to fulfill a promise of yours to a couple sutapas and prishini again it is said that you were entreated by brahma to be born in the world to relieve mother earth of her burden which threatened to overwhelm her and sink her like an overladen ship i do not know what made the brahman the infinite take up a form and a name i only know that you are beyond the sway of opposites which trouble men of small minds you have no likes and you have no dislikes no one is dear to you and you hate no one no one is able to gauge the depth of your purpose no one who is caught in the snares of likes and dislikes krishna how can we live when you go away from us how can the senses function if the life behind them ceases to illuminate them how can the mind think of anything else once it has been trained on you krishna grant me that my mind should always be bent on you and thoughts of you like the river ganga who in its single minded purpose flows into the sea unmindful of the obstructions with a smile of infinite sweetness krishna wiped kunti devi's eyes and said so be it he then went to the court of the king and there he saw yudhishthira and his brothers plunged in the woe because of their impending parting from krishna the chariot had been brought to the gates of the palace arjuna stood in the chariot holding the white silk umbrella over the head of krishna uddhava and satyaki held the charmas for him yudhishthira bhima nakula and sahadeva walked on either side of the chariot the entire city was assembled on the street to bid farewell to krishna the beloved of them all soon they reached the outskirts of the city and with great difficulty krishna persuaded his friends to go back to their houses daruka spurred the horses and soon the chariot of krishna was but a speck in the distant horizon the five brothers stood rooted to the spot gazing in the distance from where the chariot had disappeared long ago yudhishthira performs ashwamedha several months passed Yudhishthira had managed to get a semblance of peace in his mind when he devoted all his thoughts and all his time in governing the kingdom. But at the back of his mind there was still a feeling of guilt gnawing at his vitals. He could not would not get over the fact that he had caused the death of his cousins and his kinsmen. Vyasa came to him and told him that he would be cleansed of the sin if he performed the Ashwamedha yagya. This suggestion was welcomed by everyone. Krishna came at the request of Yudhishthira and he too approved of the suggestion. Everyone was happy that Yudhishthira had something to do. This would keep him from brooding. Arjuna was particularly thrilled. It seemed ages since he had taken the Gandiva in his hand. His powerful arms were itching for fight. But Yudhishthira was against all unlawful fighting. He would not let them collect even the customary wealth, the tribute which vassal king had to pay to the emperor. If there is some other way in which I can acquire wealth tell me Krishna and we will proceed with our plan said Yudhishthira 
Krishna thought for a while and sent the brothers to the north where a king had performed yagna previously and had left all the golden vessels and other necessary utensils there. They came back with immense wealth and the yagna were performed three times by the king. Vyasa presided over the functions and Krishna was the honored guest as was the custom with the Pandavas. Krishna spent some time with them all after the yagna and when he went back to Dwarka, he took Arjun with him.